Hi everyone, and welcome back to Scott's Great Chat. On today's episode, I will be chatting to Julian and Robbie from Happiness Co. about their high school journeys and what happiness means to them. During our chat, we will discuss Australia's high youth suicide rate. If you need support at any time, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. It's Scott's Great Chat. It's a chat that's great. It's Scott's Great Chat. Moving from primary school to high school, we'll chat about it all on Scott's Great Chat. So, uh, was your first day of high school year 7 or year 8? Mine was year 8, Robbie. Yeah, my first day of high school was year 8. So year 7 now, is it? Yeah, for me it's year seven. Can you remember what your first day was like? Terrifying. I, was, I went from, uh, a bit like you, I think, I uh, went to a, a bit of a new friend group, so it was, it was scary because all my friends went to uh, another school. So terrifying to fit in, probably. Yeah, mine was, uh, I was actually really excited because I got a, a spot in a special soccer program um, at uh, John Curtin High School, shout out. Um, but... That excitement came with like a lot of apprehension, a lot of fear, um, a lot of expectations as well because people expected you to be good at the sport and, you know, athletic mm. in appearance. So it brought a lot of pressure, yeah. Yeah, I'll agree that my first day was pretty terrifying. Um, did you have any friends from your primary school move across to your high school with you? Yeah, I did. I had, I had a, a real um, big contingent that came from my primary school, and big was like five people, right? So I went from um, Yangebutt Primary, which had about 40 year sevens, to a high school with 300 in the cohort. So yeah, I had a, I had a fair contingent. I think there was actually about 10 of us that, that came across, and most of them were in, um, in drama. So they had their own friend group. So it was a bit, uh, it wasn't exactly helpful. Like a click? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not particularly. I wasn't really uh, super popular at school, in primary school. So when I went to high school, even the ones that did come across, I wasn't really friends with anyway. So it, it, was, it was a fresh start for me and uh, a new chapter with new people. Yeah, um, all of my friends went across to a different high school than me. So I was sort of on my own. Um it can be really hard to make new friends and find your place. Uh, have you experienced that? Yeah, I don't think that's just in school. I think that's life. And I think as you grow every single day, yeah, you, every single person that you meet in your life, you meet for a reason. And they will, some people come and some will go and some will stay for the, the journey of your life. But um, yeah, definitely at school was one of the, my hardest times to try and fit in and find friends. Um, but as I've got older, yeah, I think you get more conf- confident and more comfortable in yourself uh, to be able to make friends easier without that level of judgment and, and fear of fitting in. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of pressure on making new friends, in inverted commas. Um, I don't think you have to, to make those friends to, to fit in as well. I think you can just sort of be part of the fabric. I think there's a lot of pressure on, you know, who you can call your best mate, you know, who's going out with who all the drama and the stuff that comes along with um, with moving into a new place. But as Jules said, there's 
it's not just in high school. You know, you move to a new workplace. Uh, you know, we've had people in our small team who have struggled to, to get along with everyone else because they're so unique. <clears throat> and the beauty of what we do is, you know, we want unique people in our in our office and um, it's the same in schools. You want people to be different. You want them to have their own brand almost, you know, so you can think of them as the, um, you know, the fun, uh, the humorous rather than the popular. You know, I think there's a lot of pressure on being quote-unquote popular. Um, I was never popular and uh, I know Jules wasn't. Um, I know some really great people in my life that were never in that popular group and the ones who had their eyes on the popular group, you know, generally uh, ended up, um, you know, having less friends at the end of high school because mm-hmm. of the way they prioritised it. So, yeah, that was my experience. Was yeah, It was hard, but um, with retrospect, yeah, I'd look at it very differently. For the first few days, I sort of sat by myself and didn't really aim to make new friends. And um, eventually I had this person come over to me and asked if I wanted to sit with them. And so that group was kind of my first friends. And from there, I started uh, making more friends. Well, shout out so. to that person that came up to you. <laughs> yeah. Whoever that was is a great person. It'd be ter- it can be terrifying. I just think this thing to have friends and... Now in my life at 32, I'm probably the mo- one of the most popular people I know, and I mean that with humility, but it's because I'm really kind, mm. and I'm really compassionate, and I'm really giving, and, and I think that you start to, as you grow up, you start to recognize what you want to be popular for, mm. quote unquote, and I get to be popular because I'm kind, and I have no attachment to being popular, but I do have an attachment to being kind. There's a lot of new challenges when you moved to high school. Do you remember if you felt a lot of pressure or anxiety at the time? So much. Anxiety, you know, tears before bed, tears before school, um, didn't want to go, screaming and, you know, nearly having tantrums at, you know, 13 years old because I just didn't like the way it made me feel. Um, And I, I hated not having any friends at the time. And that was scary and I would try and do anything and everything to get out of it. And the fear of being bullied was my biggest issue. So I had been bullied a lot through year six and seven. And, you know, when you're 12 and you're 13, you just think that's your reality and it's never going to get any better. And that's all I saw, which is I knew school was going to be people teasing me and had no friends. And when I wasn't at school, I was I grew up on a small farm. So I was running around on motorbikes, building cubby houses, kicking the footy to myself. So it was so fun for me being at home and I didn't understand why I had to go to school and be by myself and and not fit in so yeah lots of anxiety yeah heaps of pressure as I said because of the program we were going into um mine was always physical so I always uh you know my 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 dad has always had a beer gut you know my mum's um always struggled with you know keeping fit as well um so my body was um something that I I wanted to fit in with so mine was all around physical pressure um, and the anxiety when, like, I just think back to year eight, nine, ten, when we used to do, like, summer sports and you'd take your top off. Like, that's all I can think about for year eight and nine was around, you know, skins and shirts. Thank goodness they banned it about year 11. Um, but it was a bit late by then. I'd already been scarred and damaged. But, yeah, that was probably the biggest pressure and anxiety, just to, to fit in physically because all the other boys in that soccer program had six-packs, you know, and... Uh, now I look back and it's just because they were skinny, they had a skinny pack, which is, you know, something that I still strive for. But, um, yeah, it, it, for me it was all about the anxiety around fitting in um, physically. The educational or the academic side of 
school was never a priority for me until about year 10 or 11 when I figured out I was never going to make it in soccer. So the, the pressures changed. Uh, but early on, it was definitely about just fitting in um, and, and being a part of that, you know, that popular group, if you like. Um, what did that pressure and anxiety feel like? <laughs> Probably at times uh, so isolating and maybe a bit like quicksand. Mm. Uh, and I think when you're 12 and 13, it's really hard to come up with the words to express how you feel. Time trying to get the emotion right and the, the exact definition of why you're feeling the way you're feeling. So you can feel really unheard uh, or really unseen because even trying to express it to my mum as best I possibly could, it didn't mean she always understood what I was feeling. Uh, and that can be really frustrating. Trying to express how you feel around anxiety and, and feeling at times it's not being heard. But it wasn't because my mum was... My mom was not trying to understand or lack of care. She cared so very much, but it was my ability to articulate the anxiety, what was the challenge. So I, I understand for lots of young people, picking the right words to go with the right emotions to articulate to our parents and our teachers and our support networks of what we're actually going through can be the biggest challenge of all. Yeah, I think the, the, um, the way you can uh, show how you're feeling is obviously the priority in those, in those year groups. So... Um, I just remember it being something where I was like hiding or isolating a lot. That was my sort of biggest thing in that time. And I remember a lot of people, we talk about anxiety so much now, uh, which is such a great thing um, for, you know, for people to be aware of what they might be going through. But I think back then it was, it was all sort of manifested or shown by, uh, by bullying, I think. You know, people took out their anxiety through tearing other people down it happens still today but I think a lot of people were anxious I think about it now I think almost every person in our group was thinking the same thing we just didn't know it mm. and these 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 lessons in life for the probably the young people listening to this podcast and the parents listening to this podcast that these are great lessons in life too if I could go back and change anything I would change nothing and I mean that. And I dropped out of school at year eight because I can't read and I can't write. So severe dyslexia. But it's actually my greatest gift. My superpower is being dyslexic because it made me an incredible communicator. It made me articulate my words better. It made me an incredible motivational and inspirational speaker when I'm on stage because I can find the right words for the right job. So even in, in times when we feel like we're so isolated and alone, it actually gives us the greatest tools for when we grow up and, and, and the resilience of what we learn. Uh, do you think that kids are unhappier today than they were when you guys were growing up? I liken it to the uh, shark in the water debate. There's no more sharks than there were. We just see them more. Um, and I think when you're hyper aware of something, it's going to seem like it's more prevalent. Uh, I would say kids are different these days to, to other generations. Even, I mean, I would... I hate to be growing up these days just purely because of the social media reach that, that the negative things can have, you know, bullying and comparison and the like, but <clears throat> that also has its positives in connectedness um, and the ability to connect. So it's just different, um, but in terms of whether they're unhappy, I think we think people are more unhappy now because of the, like I said, that analogy around sharks in the water. We, you know, we, we know they've been there. They've always been there, the same amount of uh, incidences, incidents, sorry, but we're more hyper-aware, it's more publicised, there's a 24-hour news cycle now that has to fill, you know, 23 other hours, 
that they didn't used to have to fill. So it can feel like the world is coming in on itself, but I think it's really just a hyper-awareness around it. So, yeah, I think, I think they're just differently happy and happiness is so subjective. So it's going to change from generation to generation. You know, once upon a time, it was just about living to 40 you know, that made people uh, happy and surviving uh, their last animal attack. So now it's about, you know, finding what makes you happy, working for that. You know, I, I would say you would agree with this, Jules, that you have to work harder for happiness these days. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think what happiness is is the most important question. So if you understand what happiness is to an indiv- individual, it's easier to, me- easier to measure, measure. Sorry. But do I believe kids are unhappier? I think kids are more disconnected, and I think disconnection can lead to unhappiness. So depending what the, the journey looks like. Mm. So do I believe that more kids are waking up in the morning unhappy? I believe more kids are waking up in the morning more disconnected to themselves, to their friends, to their parents, to going outside and, and having fun and the different way of learning, the different, different way we connect. So I believe if disconnection continues to happen and grow then I believe unhappiness will be a result of that because connection is such a big thing that brings happiness to our lives and they probably feel like they're falsely more connected because of the ability to connect but it's actually taking them away from that genuine meaningful connection around face to face you know so it's almost like a a stealth addition to unhappiness Mm. what do you think? I think that people feel like um, like they're more unhappy today when it's sort of the same and yeah like it feels like there's more people unhappy but it's sort of just you're seeing more people unhappy and they're expressing expressing themselves more yeah um, and I also think that yeah technology definitely plays a role in that because yeah, um, awesome. it also adds ways to be unhappy like with uh, cyberbullying and stuff mm. so and interestingly like we're sitting here recording a podcast these things didn't exist you know what eight nine years ago really in terms of how much they were digested so the power in technology has all its you know perks but it's definitely got its its drawbacks as well it's and and ultimately it comes down to people's decisions and how they use the technology because you decide to scroll you decide to uh make these you know these decisions that go into either causing you unhappiness or or adding to what would make you unhappy so it's harder to make those decisions because of the popularity around using technology And, and the studies would show that unhappiness is bred by um lifestyle choices based around our life conditions. So what creates us to be unhappy as adults as, and as teenagers is the choices that we make and where we spend our time. You know, diet, friends, environments, how we deal with our emotions. These are all factors that go into unhappiness. So if you don't have the right tools and resources to work out what unhappiness looks like, it can be very challenging. So yeah, good question though. Um, do you think that schools need to have more of a focus on the positive mental health and well-being of students? 100%. Mm. I think, in fairness to teachers and schools and the you know academic uh, educational system, I think that they do their best with the resources they have available. So that's my first point because people think that at times I, I'm saying they're not doing enough and I believe that they do enough with the resources available. But 
in saying that. I work with a lot of young teenage boys and girls and parents and I see the day-to-day struggles that happen and at times I think it's easy to streamline something and tick the boxes, not just in schools, in, in, in corporate workplaces as well, to tick the box and said we've covered it off. But what does that actually look like? And who's falling through the cracks? Um, and who's not getting the results of the work that we're doing around you know, positive self-talk and mindfulness? So I think everyone could be always doing more. Um, and I think that if you take the feedback from young people, they would say that they want to be part of the conversation. So when people say to me, well, how do we do more then? I say, well, get more young people part of the conversation. Because I find what happens is the system tries to articulate and educate what they think is best for our young people. And our young people are so aware. Like you are, what, 13? Yeah. You're so switched on and you're so aware. I'm better off asking you questions how I should deal with your mental health than asking your mum at times. Mm. Not that your mum doesn't have some great advice. I'm saying I'm going to ask you directly and then try and implement that. So that's where I think we should be doing more, actually speaking to our young people and giving them a voice rather than saying, we know more because we've been doing it longer. Yeah, and I think, back to, um, I think back to health classes in high school, right? We had physical health classes. We never once, ever, I, I graduated in 06, so it's not that long ago, um, we never once spoke about mental health in those, in those classes. And again, this is not a slight on the system, uh, the people in the system, it's probably more of a, a crack at the system itself not catching up because I remember sitting in year seven, so in the what would be the quadrangle area in between four classrooms, and they packed all the boys in one side and all the girls in one side and they put on this video about puberty, right? And everyone in that class already knew more about what was in the video because the internet was starting to become a thing. Kids were growing up faster than ever. And it was almost like no one actually paid attention and cared about that subject for the rest of the year because the first instalment was so far behind. You know, if you walk into, uh, let's say, two matching apartments in the city, one's furnished and looking beautiful, one's not, you're always going to go for the one that looks better and more up to date, right? So you're not going to pay attention to the other one. It's the same thing with the education, the education system at the moment. Everyone's already looking at something that um, gives them more information, which is the internet. So you do, you have to customise it and personalise it to the, the generation or even the year group because there are some you know, year nines that know a lot less than some year sevens right now because of the way that the internet's grown and the way they use the internet and you know, there's two-year-olds using iPads now. You know, my my nonna who's 85 can't use an iPad. So we just need to get better at formulating how we educate, not necessarily what we're educating within that, um, and making it more enjoyable for people. Because I remember the best classes at school were the ones that were engaging, created the right environment, and then therefore educated. You know, you need those three E's to get through to people. We do it in our workshops. Um, you know, we have a real priority on making sure that it's actually enjoyable. Um, it can't be all dark and gloomy. It can't be all about uh, what's going wrong. It has to be about what you can be doing right. Uh, and I think, you know, if your um, question goes back to should they be focusing more, I think they're starting to, again, be hyper-aware, but they need to start thinking about how they're going to educate it within the syllabus or the curriculum um, and integrate it into everyday schooling. Some are, some are trying, um, but again, it's it's got to be done better. Mm. You have to have the sad to appreciate the happy. 
you have to have the dark to appreciate the light. So we can also go the other way, which is just trying to create positive environments for our students, which is all about positive thinking and not actually understanding why we're feeling the way we're feeling. So there's also that how we educate young people of, you know what? Sadness is a really good emotion because it's trying to tell you something. Being angry is a really good emotion because it's trying to tell you something. Being angry and going to throw something at someone or hit someone or tease someone is not a good thing to do with anger. But anger is trying to teach you something. So it's about allowing our kids to understand that their emotional range is very important, which is all the way up to you know, positivity and happiness, all the way down to loneliness and sadness and guilt. That they all play a, an aspect in our lives and how we understand where they go and how they work is the most important factor of all. I think if, yeah, you actually did classes about understanding emotions rather than trying to force people to, um, like, sort of be positive, I think that, that would definitely help. Yeah, educate the people and hopefully the education would change the, the behaviour, which mm-hmm. is not the education around cyberbullying, the education around why we do the things that we do. Why are you bullying? Yeah, why, yeah why, and why are we allowing it to, to affect us in such a way? I think that's really important. Good point. Can you please give a rundown about happiness, EDU, and what skills do you think it's important to have to help people through school? Um, So tools for school? Yeah. Well, the tools for schools um, is essentially uh, a copy and paste from all our individual programs we've been doing with adults um, and workplaces and, um, and parents. You know, and just making it understandable from a young age. I think some of the tools are, you know, resourcefulness, um, emotional probably, intelligence. Resourcefulness is probably the main one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'll, I'll let Jules expand on resourcefulness because he's got a really good example of uh, of what it means to him. But you know, happiness, happiness edu uh, was yeah born out of uh, parents who had done our programs uh, requesting us to put something together for for kids. Um, but also exactly what I was talking about before. Just knowing that in high school and in high school at the moment, um, you know, those three E's, the enjoyment, the engagement and the environment are just not not quite there. So we're trying to offer schools that. Because again, teachers are only, you know, uh, outfitted, if you like, to a certain point and they've only got what they know. Um, so there needs to be some outside uh, facilitation sometimes. and. I know there's teachers in my high school that meant really well, but didn't matter what they said to me, I was zoned out. Like, I know that for a fact. It's, it becomes white noise. It's the reason why workplaces like to get, you know, conferences where people come in and speak. It's about environment engagement because it just becomes white noise. So you need different people delivering probably the same messages. Um, so that's what we've designed Happiness EDU to be, which is making sure that people understand the simple tools that they can be using in, in high school age, so it's you know aimed at year ten to ten to twelve mainly, um, and then we've done some work with the with younger kids as well. But you know we've got to be realistic about what we are good at, and we know that we are better aimed at those age groups. So yeah, that's what it's aimed at for us. Um, skills wise, I think just yeah being being emotionally aware, being resourceful, uh, resilience is spoken about a lot, and I know we'll talk about that in a bit. But um, that's that's not the only tool within the kit. So resourcefulness is like a, a tool that you is an internal tool. So resources are the external factors that you may have in life, time, money, classes that you go to, iPads. These are your mum is a resource, right? These are these are resources that we have available to us. 
But one factor I see that gets missed is resourcefulness, which is the internal aspects that you have. So what are you doing to be able to deal with your mental health? What are you doing to be able to deal with your choices that you're making around diet? What are you doing when you think about going to bed at night? Are you going to bed early enough? Are you off the iPad? Are you off the screen time? These things are all internal-based. And if you can grow your internal resourcefulness, you become very powerful in the choices that you make. And I think there's a big gap there, which is always about educating people through awareness, which is not also based around tool development, which is how do I do this job then? How do I make it better? How do I use who I am to get a better outcome? And I think about this in all aspects of life. If you want to be better in your relationships, who do you have to become? If you want to be better in your career, who do you have to become? If you want to be better in your school, who do you have to become? So the individual responsibility is purely on the person that wants a better outcome. And I think that young people are crying out for that responsibility and we just at times need to give them the chance to make some mistakes along the way. We're all told a lot to, that we need to be resilient. Uh, what does resilience mean to you? Mm. I think, yeah, resilience is a great thing. When you're going through your challenges, to, to be able to push through them. Every single person on the planet goes through hard times. Difficult moments, sadness, grief, loss. But resilience is really good when you're in it. So it's a great... And, and you know, optimism, for instance, is a resilience technique. And why I love that is because you can look at your problems from a, a lens of pessimism uh, and you'll be really restricted about what you think about. But if you look at your challenges from a lens of optimism, you look at scenarios of solutions and you come up with more solutions. So to me, resilience thinking uh, and resilience behaviours are, are critical. Um, if we can get one better than that, which is train people to go through hard times before they even go through hard times, so training for a marathon, right? You've got to run every single day to be able to run the marathon because you just tried to do it today, you would really struggle and maybe you wouldn't be able to do it. Train people to get the tools to go through hard times so when they are struggling, the right tools for the job with resilience actually work in a really, really powerful way for them. So big on it. Yeah, well, look, it's obviously, um, again, there's a, a real hyper-awareness around the word resilience and being resilient. Um, but I think you, you have to be prepared for what's to come uh, yeah, before it gets to you. I think the preemptive approach that we have around mental health speaks to that. But resilience to me is obviously the ability to overcome challenges uh, as they come to you. Um, and my only, my only bugbear with, with making resilience the hot buzzword is we actually forget about the other tools and the other um, resources you can be calling on to, to go through things. Um, it's a very broad, it's a very broad concept in terms of being resilient. I always, uh, not worry, but you know, I'm always wary uh, on who needs to be resilient and why. You know, if you're if you're getting uh, bullied, it's very hard to stay resilient. You know, yes, it teaches you some forced perspective. Uh, yes, it helps you uh, maybe you know grow a tougher skin. But I would be more worried about the people doing the bullying and what we can be making them obligated to feel like they should be doing um, because there's something going on there and that's nothing to do with resilience. That's them being um, uh, just basically taking out emotions on other, other kids. So, yeah, I, I worry about the responsibility and where it lies with resilience sometimes, um, but it's a definite, definite key uh, tool within the tool belt to, to get through life, that's for sure. There's a great, not a great saying based around resilience, but I like it when you attach it to resilience, which is, there's people waking up in the world today going through worse than you, doing better than you. So there are 13-year-olds in the world right now waking up, going through worse than you right now. 
in WA right now around the world everywhere doing worse but doing better uh, there'll be young men at 32 waking up going through worse than me doing better than me and I think that's a great false perspective around resilience because the only difference is the choices that they're making and how they're dealing with it so that's resilience to me what, when you're going through hard times how do you make strong decisions and perspective is a beautiful thing mm. uh, did you or do you ever feel like sometimes it's really hard to be resilient and um, not let it affect you when someone is giving you a hard time yeah, sometimes you don't think it. Like, why do I have to be resilient? Like, you know, I think we all can always fall into traps of wanting to be easier. Well, why do I have to be resilient? Because that means I have to go through something hard. Or that means something difficult has to come my way. And I always say, you can have moments like that, but just don't live there. I'll have moments in my day or in my week when I'm really run down and tired because, you know, I have a busy schedule that I think, oh, you know what? I don't want to be resilient today. I just want to stay in bed. But I just don't live there. So I allow myself to have the thought it's when we deny ourselves the, the ability to have the thoughts. There's nothing wrong with wanting it to be a little easier at times. But if you live there, then you stop being resourceful so, and resilient. So it's okay to not want to be, but you always should. I think, um, I think back to yeah, different times through high school where I was like, why am I the one that has to be the strong one here or be the bigger person? Sometimes it's just what you need to do, you know, and, and that is part of... Um, obviously being grateful for what you have outside of that. Uh, I think, um, and, and, and thinking about the question of when someone is giving you a hard time and, and how do you push through it and, and want to stay resilient, I think you've just got to remember that it does pass, you know, and having that uh, retrospect, which brings me to my next tool, which is the support networks that you have. It doesn't have to be a professional. It doesn't have to be someone that knows about emotions. It can just be someone willing to listen to you about your day. Uh, that's a massive, massive tool for um, for feeling better, you know, being vulnerable, being able to, to share, um, you know, problem shared, problem halved, all that sort of, uh, all those fun phrases. But I think when, um, when you're going through something and the obligation is on you to be resilient, just, you know, think about the other tools that you might have as well, um, just, just in retrospect, because it, it can be tough when, when people are piling onto you, especially when you get out into the real world, which is... Which is a lot tougher than high school, that's for sure. <laughs> one of the biggest, I guess, resilience tools or resourceful tools around that is, it's not what it doesn't. Uh, it's not your business what people think of you, but it's definitely your business or what you think of you. And I think for young people, that's so hard because, well, not just young people, everybody has so, so built on this internal external validation from people saying they're enough, um, and then we quite often sell out along the way. We start doing things that aren't really congruent to who we want to be. So I think the real key to that is how do you make sure when you go to bed at night, doesn't matter what age you are, 11, 12, 13, 14, that you're going to bed knowing that you're a, a better person today. Not the best, but a better one. Mm. And when you understand what a better person looks like to you, you start making sure you have this, like what I call an avatar of the choices that you make. Because when you go to sleep and put your head on your pillow and you close your eyes and your mum's not there, that internal chatter that I'm sure you've had at 13 years old, that, that starts that really matters by the things that you did in the last 24 hours. Do you think it's harder for boys and men to speak up when they're not feeling great and show their emotion and ask for help? I think it's... Uh, I, I actually um, chucked up a post the other day uh, on the socials about this. I think this is one of been This is one of been This has been one of the best probably 12 to 18 months for change in that space. Um, again, around that hyper-awareness uh, in a positive way, uh, in w- uh, 
solutions are starting to increase with awareness. I think that's the most important thing to remember. Um, I always have to remember that I'm in a bubble of, of positive change, so I've got to you know look outside that. But just seeing what, even just in Perth and WA, what some amazing people are doing in this space as men. Um, I think things like uh, fly in, fly out, you know, that, that FIFO culture uh, and the, the issues that that's had uh, in the last probably six years preceding, six, seven years, uh, with mental health challenges has made people do things that they needed to do, like change code, codes of conduct and all the sort of government stuff. But more importantly, the people that are on the ground are starting to care more. You can see the engagement increase. You can see the people that are being affected by it most. They're losing friends. They're losing managers. They're losing people uh, along the way. So they're starting to change. But it, it, it is... Um, we're wired to not want to be vulnerable more than, than females. So yeah, it's definitely harder, but I also feel like there's a real positive change happening uh, in that space. And that's obviously why we're here, you know, we're, we're part of that change, you're part of that change. Um, and the, the more we can move that scale down to the younger people, the better, because that's where it all starts, which is, you know, parents telling their kids the right things at the right time around emotions is what's gonna change this for the long term. So we can do all the podcasting and, um, uh, and, and social media posting and, and all the conferences and workshops we like. But if uh, the general public aren't parenting the best they can, uh, then nothing changes. Because, you know, we got to remember that our parents grew up with parents who grew up in the war, you know, where it was like <laughs> a, a much tougher time, a much tougher time and a much different time. So we have to, have to change the conversation around what vulnerability means and when it's right uh, and, and how to empower people to want to share. Yeah, I, I think I probably have a slightly different view than Robbie on this one. I reckon it's, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, youth suicide is record high last 10 years. The suicide rate's going up. And there's a lot of factors in that. Um, but the, the challenge for young men uh, and men to open up truly about what's going on in their life uh, and you can't underestimate the power of programming from their education and their parenting growing up we are subjects of our upbringing and you know we're working really hard and so many amazing organizations are trying to fight the, for the the cause of, of mental health and we're doing the best that we all can but the stats are still alarming and you know i'll be happy when you know we have a a, a massive reduction in global unhappiness and global suicide reduction then i know we're really doing a collective job because i think that as a body of people we're not doing enough uh we have limited resources limited money and li limited education and training to get to people to show them that 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 choice of taking your own life is not the answer but not being able to open up leads to that behavior not being able to express how you feel leads to that behavior and yeah it's a challenging one because you don't even know if you're doing the right things half the time. You're just trying to do your best because it means something to you and you don't want people to obviously be in, in pain and in suffering. But yeah, it's a, a massive global issue and you know we're just one of the countries that are, are trying so very hard, but we're also one of the countries in the world that have one of the highest uh, rates of suicide. So There's also a really interesting stat around where, where in the question around asking for help. You think about, again, physical versus emotional or physical versus mental. Um, I think the, the uh, life expectancy of men is 10 years younger than, than women, roughly. 79, 85. Yeah, so 
there's a gap between the life expectancy of men and women and a lot of that is to do with when men don't want to go to the doctor you know so they don't want to go and get things checked or go and talk to people about their issues um, they also have a higher rate of financial stress because it's hard to be vulnerable and hard to swallow your pride enough to say hey I'm not doing well with x y or z um, whether that's physical health mental health financial well-being whatever it is so yeah we, we are inherently not as good um, but I do feel like there, there is some positive change coming but if we keep focusing on the negatives unfortunately that's where you stay you know we have to we have to start believing that people are capable for that change to happen so yeah just thought I'd throw that in there I certainly know about um, people not going to the doctors with dad yeah um, yeah what does happiness mean to you? Oh, how long you got for Jules? <laughs> I'll give my simple answer. Fulfillment. Which is, fulfillment comes down to one thing for me. Do you like who you are? I think if you like who you are as a person, uh, you'll treat yourself with a certain, uh, certain sense of value and respect. If you value who you are, you respect who you are. If you respect who you are, you value who you are. And that comes from a sense of fulfillment. Which is when you go to bed at night, you look yourself in the mirror... I, do you like that person? And to me, that's happiness. That's the true gauge of it. And then what you achieve from that moment on, you know, what you're achieving now as a young man with, you know, telethon and all the things I've seen you doing, which is incredible, they're achievement-based and they are incredible attributes to the character that you are. But you could do, you know, that money that you've raised for telethon, how much is it now? 176000 You could raise $176,000 for telethon and still go to bed at night completely alone. True. You could raise a million dollars for telethon and go to bed completely alone. So the point that I make to people is outstanding, man. And I take my hat off to you. And I'm so very proud that you've done that. But make sure when you go to bed at night, happiness comes from how you feel about yourself. And that's the most important factor. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Just self-contentment and the... Uh, I think also happiness is the ability to see past the small things that might trip you up. You know, so... If you're in a state of happiness, those little things won't drag you down as much each day, and and almost harking back to resilience, you know, like it's it's for me it's it's exactly how Jules put it around, you know, making sure that you don't chase things and uh, achievements over being content and fulfilled. Yeah, happiness uh, to me is helping people, and yeah, the nice feeling that comes with it. Mm. Contribution's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Do you think everyone has it in them to be kind? I have a belief system that no bad people, just bad behaviour. And that can be triggering for some people, depending on what life experience they have been subject to growing up. But everyone has a story, and hurt people hurt people. So everyone listening to this right now that maybe is going through some hard times with their parents, or some friends, or some kids at school, just remember, hurt people hurt people. doesn't make the behaviour okay it's poor behaviour and it's not okay but I believe that 99% 99% of the world have the ability to be kind that 1% of people that wake up in the morning and want to cause harm and pain to people that's not the average person that we're dealing with here we're dealing with people that are lost scared lonely most bullies are going through something at home doesn't change the outcome of how we're treated but I believe that with the right systems and educations and environments and the tools People can find a way to be more kind, yes. Yeah. I think if you're generalising across the, the that 99% of the population, I think if you, even if you did a cross-section across that, 
I think this question also refers to like moments when good people can they have it in them to be kind like when someone lets you down when someone steals from you and someone maybe pulls out of a business deal or maybe when someone um you know yeah kids kids take money out of their mum's wallets you know it's it's these moments where that's not a bad person that's a person that's just in a moment um so i think they all have it in them to be kind at some point um but again it comes down to you know people shining the light on the good which is you know people who contribute people who give back to the community um i always think about like uh if i'm having a tough day at work i always think about the people that are out there volunteering and having a tough day you know because you've got to be grateful um everyone has it in them to be kind regardless of of what they've been through uh you know forgetting that one percent that just aren't wired that way um or probably less than that to be honest but you know People need to remember at every given moment they have a choice to, to either be positive or, or not. And once upon a time, mate, between the ages of about 21 and 25, I was really unkind to people, to my brother, my sister, my mum, my friends, but mostly most unkind to myself. That's where most of the damage was, right? But then because of my poor kindness to myself, that exposed the way I treated other people in the same way. And now I'm a really kind young man but I also have the ability at times, even though I work hard on kindness, to be unkind. Not intentionally. Sometimes we just say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. and It's about knowing that we do make mistakes along the way. But I was once unkind and now I'm kind. Then I make some mistakes and I'm unkind. It's a very different environment to what it used to be. I used to be so unkind with some moments of kindness. And now I'm kind with some moments of unkindness. And that's the perspective that you need. Yeah, I think that definitely... Uh Basically, everyone has it in them to be kind, um, whether they know it or not. Uh, it's just about what they think about themselves and how they manage their emotions. So, Great answer. Spot on. Why do you think some people choose to be unkind or deliberately and mean? Well, we had a, a bit of a conversation around uh, someone being deliberately sarcastic and mean on, on our social media uh, just just yesterday um, and I think a lot of it comes down to the space they're in and, and feeling like they can project how they're feeling like you said managing their emotions projecting how they're feeling uh, by by drawing attention you know if, if I remember if uh, if I got in trouble when I was a kid I'd always be like yeah but Alex you know, my brother the middle child always um, he did this or you know when you're in a little sort of argument or you're in a moment you got pointed at them by the way Scott um, when you're in a moment where, where there's some um, negativity or something happens to you that's negative, the easiest thing to do is to react and to put that onto someone else. So it transfers the guilt, transfers any shame, transfers any uh, responsibility or ownership of that moment. Um, so I think that's why people choose to be unkind. Yep. And unkindness, I think, comes down to, again, do you like yourself? Truly happy people aren't unkind they might have moments of unkindness but if you're if you're really happy with who you are as a person you have no need to go out and put someone else down to, to, to pull you up or to tear someone else down to, to, to show that you know you're better than them and I think that's what happens like we tall poppy syndrome we tear other people down to put us up or we try and validate why we're better and I just think that happy people just don't get caught up in that 
maybe moments at times, but they don't get caught up in the, the size of it, which is, you know, I'm just happy and content with who I am as a person. I keep myself in my own lane. Mm. Yeah, as you said before, there can be a lot of disconnect between people today. So like, they can say things or write things without any thought or care for the person on the receiving end. Do you think that this is because people uh, spend so much time on tech uh, online and on social media? Yeah, I think there's, a, there's two superhero powers that people need. doesn't matter what age you are. Compassion and empathy. They are truly superhero powers. Don't worry about flying and having x-ray vision all right, and all that kind of cool. jazz. Cool. It would be cool. But compassion and empathy is a true superpower, which is, I wonder if I type this, how it would be received by that young man or young lady on the other side of the internet or the text message or when you say something to your mum I wonder how my mum would receive that. That's the superpower, the gap between what comes out your, your, what you think about and what comes out your mouth. I think there's a really cool exercise that you could do at a, at a school or a workplace, which is think of the most unkind thing that you say to yourself every day. Maybe it's that you're, uh, you're dumb, or I'm just going off what we've spoken about already. Maybe you know, you're fat, uh, or you're never going to fit in, or whatever it might be that you would say to yourself regularly that biggest bully comment and then write it down on a piece of paper and then not just go up and hand it to someone in your workplace or your school but tell them with meaning and with intent that comment in person and I guarantee you people look around the room and go I'm not going to do that that's no way like I would never do that but if you change that whole experiment so you did 30 people writing it and handing it and 30 people fire a keyboard towards someone that they can't see and they can't feel the emotions of straight away, then I guarantee you they would, they would opt into the second option, which is to do it facelessly. And I had a message the other day, my first ever hate message, and I, I, I thought immediately how hurt that person must be, but that's only because I'm aware. If I wasn't, and if I was in a different space, that would have been incredibly hurtful because there was some comments around, you know, you should take your own life, etc. So if someone's in a vulnerable spot and they don't understand that it's just a faceless person, they can't hurt you, you know, all these things that we tell people, it's a very difficult moment um, to, to obviously understand. So I think, yeah, you just need to think, about, would you say this to someone else if they were right in front of you? Um, because to go back to the question, you're exactly spot on with, with your wording, which is it's exactly because of technology, it's exactly because of social media, People feel like they can say stuff without consequence, without what you call instant feedback. So you can't see someone be hurt. You can maybe think about it if you're compassionate or empathetic at best and maybe feel guilty, but a lot of the time you can just put words out there and not have anything. Just think about any nasty comment that someone's made on social media. There's no way they're saying that to someone in person. Remember, if you need support, reach out to someone. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. Uh, when my mum and dad were growing up, they didn't really use technology and they didn't have social media. And now they're editing your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any of those things when you were growing up? No. I think we first got the 3110s with Snake on them when I was growing up. <laughs> and the internet was... It was good, but it was very slow. So you had MySpace and stuff, but it wasn't like it was today. Well, this is the, the difference two years can make. Like, I remember, yeah, and, and being in high school as well, um, 10, 11, 12, 
very heavily geared towards MSN, MySpace. Um, before that, there was something called ICQ, which was like a chat room if you were in that sort of era. But, you know, being in the school, you, you had to be on MySpace. And if you weren't in someone's top eight friends, which I think is crazy to think about, everyone blames Facebook and everyone blames what's going on now. It all started with when you have to rank your friends. And I remember my uh, girlfriend in high school moved me from one to two one day, and I was like, "That's it, it's over, all right? It's that's 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 about, that's us done." I think she, I don't actually think he's ranked outside the top ten now too, which is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I just I just I completely um, wish that we we didn't have it, but our whole business and our brand is built on social media, so you can't really complain too much. You know, behind it is people. And if it wasn't social media, it was the newspapers before that, and it was radio and it was TV. So it was a smaller portion of society that were able to put that information out there. But now you can collect information at the drop of a hat. Uh, it's how you use it, and obviously it's um, it's what you do with that information after that as well. Which I think leads into your next question about do you want it, do you need it? I think what's what you do with it. It's one of the greatest platforms in the world if you use it for the right things. Mm. I could connect. I connect with people all around the world. They DM me, they slide into my um, private messages and ask me some of the most painful questions and share some of the biggest struggles I've ever gone through and these are complete strangers to me. So I think that the platform for me is to be kind and that's what we do with it. So you can be nasty on it or you can be kind with it. So yeah, it, it, it completely comes down to the decision on how you use it. You know, I, I think uh, having, having had MySpace and MSN and all those things, I used to love them. But I never saw them becoming a bigger, as big a negative as they have in terms of those chat platforms, for sure. Uh, looking back to when you were a teenager, do you know anything today that you wish you'd known then that might have made your high school experience easier? Where to start? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I think just looking back and, and, and knowing the things I know about how other people actually perceive you so the perception that other people have of you isn't as bad as you ever think and they're not they don't actually care as much um and neither should you i think would be the best way to put it um i would go back to high school me and i would probably say something like um you know if 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 you're worried about what people think of your appearance or think of your ability to be academically strong none of them actually care because they're all going through the same things and and it's the same in life now uh it's just more concentrated and it's like a it's like a a stronger mix uh in in high school my other um wisdom would be you know you don't have to be friends with everyone you can have a concentrated group of friends and a smaller network and it doesn't matter um, and who you're friends with doesn't matter as long as they're good people mom would be don't worry about what people think of you, say about you, just stay in your own lane. And, and I know that can be really difficult for young people, but intuition's a big thing. Like, trust that gut instinct as well. Like, I think we, we wait till we're a little older and we don't trust it because it can be confusing and we always look for logic uh, to explain things to us. But I think there's a lot of intuition and courage that comes from how you feel about things. And that should be your true uh, north, which is this is the person I want to be. And try never to conform. As hard as that is, to conform to do things that are unkind to others because people are unkind to you. So 
my best bit of advice was I at times would buy into behaviors to fit in so people would like me rather than saying, you know what, I'm okay to go alone because that's the kind of character I want. Mm. So for the young year sevens listening, I know that the path of least resistance is sometimes to go down the path that most young people are going down. You know, drinking or drugs or putting people down or social media bullying, whatever it is that is the cool thing at the time. Just remember, great leaders, even young people, can be great leaders by going down the path of most resistance, but being a great character along the way. And I think that if you asked all your peers in year seven, mate, live the way you want to be remembered, as their question. Like, if for whatever reason you're going to go to bed tonight, you know, 13 years old, how would you want to be remembered? And I remember you for a bunch of things, but I remember you because you're an inspiring young kid or teenager and also that you've done a lot of good for a lot of people. And that, what, what amazing things to be remembered for. And there's every single person in your classroom that can be remembered for something very similar, if they choose to be. Do you have any other final words of wisdom uh, you would give to future year seven? Always gets better. It always gets better. I know it can be one of the most challenging times of your life, but it always gets better, and it's never forever. Yeah, along the same lines, uh, just make sure you put yourself first at times. It's okay to say no. It's okay to be uh, not friends with everyone. It's okay to be doing terrible at school in terms of you know, not getting the grades that everyone expects, as long as you're trying your, your best. Um, and you know, it's okay to not look like everyone else uh, and, and just basically be content with where you're at and make sure that you're putting yourself first over anyone else. We say this in all our workshops with everybody. You can live your life and not be an A-grade student of life or school, but you can live your life being an A-grade person. So I was an A-grade student at school, but I, 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 my score in life is now being an A-grade person. And I'm not saying kids don't try. I'm not saying don't apply yourself to your schooling and all that. I'm saying definitely do. But don't put all your significance under what grade someone puts on your piece of paper because there's so much more to who you all are than just that score because you can't score the character of someone by what you put down in your assignments, how you feel and the empathy and the compassion, how you treat your mum and how you treat yourself and... You know, going out and raising money for people. These are things that are scoreless, but you should keep score and knowing that you're a good person. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks to Julian and Robbie for joining me. If you would like more information on Happiness Co., their web address is www.happinessco.org. Remember, if you need support, reach out to someone. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or the Kids Helpline on 1-800-55-1800. Thank you so much to everyone for listening, and I can't wait to chat on the next episode. Bye! It's Scott's Great Chat. It's a chat that's great. It's Scott's Great Chat. Moving from primary school to high school, we'll chat about it all on Scott's Great Chat. Music by Damien, DJ G. Garini.